Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Fourth Estate, the show where journalists talk journalism. The Olympic torch is about to reach Rio, so this week we're talking sport. Coming to you from the Sydney studios on Gadigal lands and right across Australia on the Community Radio Network, I'm Marcus Costello. Coming up, every Olympics has its story, so how will we remember Rio? Plus, for the first time ever, there's an equal split of men and women in the Australian Summer Olympics team. But the coverage of men's and women's sport is far from equal. And a kingpin in the sports gambling world is being investigated for threatening to expose people via a senior sports journalist and topping up said journalist's TAB account. What's ethical? What's illegal? We'll find out. Joining me in the studio is Sports Desk Editor from Guardian Australia, Richard Parkin. Hello, Richard. G'day. Thanks for having me. And Editor of Zila at SBS Sport, Danielle Warby. Hello. Hey, Marcus. How are you? I'm well. And on the line is Canberra Times sports writer, Fleeta Page. Hi, Marcus. Thanks for having me. We're live tweeting. Our Twitter handle is ForthEstateAU. By law, Australians shouldn't have to pay to watch the Olympics. After all, hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars are spent supporting our team. This year, free-to-air broadcaster Network 7 has the official broadcast licence and will use its three channels and a premium subscription service to bring us the games. But they can't show us everything. What they choose to show us will be telling. The big story in the lead-up to these games, much like in the lead-up to the 2014 World Cup, has been the runaway cost of building new stadiums and real estate developments that won't benefit the majority of people who live there. Fourth Estate's Rafael Garcia is in Rio reporting on the games for SBS. And earlier today, we caught up on Skype. I asked if he's been given a government-sponsored media kit with places to go and people to see. I guess as part of the accreditation to cover the Olympics, there's sort of two key um, types of accreditation, really. One is provided by the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, and um, and that's what gives you access to all, all of the events um, and um, having access to, to certain athletes and, and all of that. Um, but there's also accreditation provided to us by the Rio Media Center. Now, the Rio Media Center is actually um, put together by um, Rio local government, um, and um, as part of uh, access to um, to the Rio Media Center and, and that accreditation, we get daily emails and there's like a weekly calendar of um, of events that are open to media. 
Um, I must say that when I first looked at it and first first looked at the events that were available, I was a little bit surprised because there were there were lots of of tours that were sort of going outside of Rio, and some of them are going to places that might be two, three, four hours away, um, and um, and these are tours that are completely funded uh, and paid for, and you know you might go to to this uh, beautiful national park and stay there in a resort for a couple of days and. Uh, check out the sites and, and, you know, food is provided for and all that. So um, it, it did make me wonder, you know, if, if you go on one of those tours, you know, would you come back um, telling, you know, any story other than, you know, this is a beautiful spot and everyone should go there. Um, so I certainly haven't um, jumped at that opportunity of, uh, of going on any of those tours, but um, I'm sure that uh, those buses going to these beautiful places around Rio would be pretty packed. So if you didn't get on the bus, what stories have you been covering? We've been able to um, tell stories of um, locals um, from you know a small town where the, the torch relay was happening, but um, they've actually had, um, had the tragedy a few years ago where um, several people lost their lives after you know some mudslides um, have happened in, in the region. Uh, we've been able to tell stories of um, locals, uh, you know, local families who have been evicted from um, living right next to the Olympic Park, for example, um, to have to make way for for the car park and and um, real estate development. So we we're really looking for those local stories so that we can still tell the news of you know what's happening um, during the Olympics, um, but also show a local perspective of you know like, you know what life is really like in, in Rio and not just the sort of the glossy brochure, if you like. Daniel, you're covering the Olympics for SBS this year. What's the best role a small broadcaster, a non-partner broadcaster can play? Yeah, I think it's really important for us to tell those stories that are perhaps being missed. Um, You'll notice with a lot of the mainstream coverage and Channel 7's coverage that they certainly focus on a certain kind of story and a lot of the same athletes that we've heard from before or many times before. So me personally, um, and you're obviously working at SBS, we have a diversity charter. So I'm very interested in telling the stories of athletes who are from, you know, culturally diverse backgrounds, out gay athletes, um, Indigenous athletes, for example, um, and just telling stories in a slightly different way. I mean, there is a formula to sports reporting. So, you know, what I've been trying to do at Zella is, um, you know, bring a bit of a different voice into the space. Talking about that formula for sports reporting, do you think that the official broadcast partners want to keep the focus on the field and in the pool rather than on political upheaval and other sort of sideshows that could distract from that premium license that they've paid so much to get. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're all about, um, you know, the inspirational stories, the golden girls, et cetera, et cetera, all those cliches that you're going to keep hearing. Um, and, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. These, you know, these athletes are inspirational. Um, and the, you know, the Olympics can be a very uplifting, um, you know, experience to watch and be a part of. Um, but I do think it's important to sort of tell those different stories. But, you know, Channel 7 won't be so much looking into those because, you know, they want it to be a very positive experience for their viewers. So Richard, if Channel 7 is going to talk about the Golden Girls, why don't the international media go deeper into the dark corners of a host city that is plagued like Rio? Look, it's it's a great question. I really commend Raphael and SBS for the work that they've they've been doing. Um, I mean, unfortunately, the way that media is tending these days, there's a real aspect of control where any journalists who go are almost in this embedded context, which is meant to be for your security and for your ease of logistics, but basically it can often turn into look this way, look that way, don't look at this type thing. 
I, I would say there are, however, some international media outlets who are doing a good job on this. I mean, speaking personally for me at The Guardian, I think we've done a pretty good job of saying let's let's keep the focus also on the politics, what's happening in Brazil. There are huge stories around this uh, Olympic Games, as there were with the World Cup two years ago, and it's important not to shy away from that. The difference, though, is we're not a host broadcaster, and it comes back to this idea of skin in the game. Now, unfortunately... Uh, when, when you are caught up as a host broadcaster, you're then placed under all these internal pressures from other uh, corporate sponsorships, from, you know, uh, federations, all, all sorts of people get involved to say, it's just too much of a potential landmine, we need to walk away from this. And, and you get a, a very streamlined, very anodyne uh, final product. The official license to broadcast the games is highly contested. It's highly restrictive and it's super expensive. But what's in it for an official broadcaster? Sport has become massive business. And so that that's we've seen this over the last 10, 20 years especially. It's exponentially changed, um, which means that the more that you can link your products to the product of sport, the better on-sell, the better uh, marketing, all these kind of concomitant processes come into it. And, and this is very much the way that sport's heading. Well, man sport anyway. Certainly. <laughs> to go back to your last question about uh, the um, you know, broadcasters keeping a, a focus on the field, I just want to, I guess, point out that they have a real interest in sort of suspending reality for viewers. And um, I guess it's a bit like casinos wanting to wanting to keep you, you know, in the dark about what time it is outside. Mm. So you <laughs> stay in there and, and you know, take the clocks away and, you know, just spend more time consuming their their product and their advertising but um and is it the case that a, a good news story is something that people are more inclined to stick with for you know just over two weeks of of, of sport is that why we're subjected to so many of these sort of triumph stories you know the small town battler becoming a world beater a hundred percent yeah um i mean people love good news stories and and as much as um, news organisations get flack for you know not covering certain things or not giving enough time to really newsworthy stories which should be getting a lot of airtime. The reality is people don't want to stick with it. They don't. They, they like to keep their head in the sand essentially about these kind of things. So you know to point out about you know the the terrible poverty and uh, um, various issues that that the locals are facing in in Rio as a result of the Olympics and as a result of you know other political influences there. It kind of just, I guess, sort of sours the experience of the uplifting sports story for, for viewers. This idea of the small town battler, those kind of, you know, heroic tales. I mean, this is getting to the very heart of what we love about sport. This is why we work as sports journalists, this is why people watch it as sports consumers, sports fans. It, it, it's a beautiful story. It tells you the, the highs and lows of the human emotions and the human experience. Now, the problem with this is it, it has to come back to authenticity. If you're watching a sporting event where something truly amazing happens, you get to sit there and say, I sat up till 3 a.m. at Wimbledon or I sat up till 5 a.m. or, you know, that's very much the Australian experience of it. And I saw it and I was there when it happened. And that's, that's this moment. And the more that you get people trying to manufacture or trying to, you know, push the edges of, of enhancing this, oh, how's this for a heroic story? People can see straight through that. And so I, I've had an experience on the other side of things, being involved with a, a, a governing body of a sport, working for them as a contractor, where you were very much trying to pump the tyres, trying to say, oh, guys, how about this? This is unbelievable. And the second it's not, you get smashed. 
I mean, the other yeah. side of that coin is those athletes who have been caught up in doping scandals, and they've been more than a fair share leading up to these games. <laughs> how does how does that change how people think of elite athletes? And in general, how does that impact on ratings? I think in the long term, it doesn't have a detrimental effect at all. You know, I think people do like a drama. Um, they like to be, you know, a part of that drama. And, you know, people might say, oh, I'm not going to watch cycling anymore because it's just full of drug cheats. But they do, you know. And I think, you know, it's all part of the narrative and part of the story. Um, I think at the end of the day, it's we're not going to see a decline in people watching uh, the Olympics because of this. They might be plenty of other reasons if there is a decline, but I don't think it's this. I mean, people do love a drama. I'm slightly in variance there, and I think that, again, it has to have an aspect of authenticity. If you've got this veneer that everyone's clean, that's all you... Like, you want people to believe that everyone's clean. The minute you have systematic doping organised on a state-sanctioned level then it's hugely problematic and people have every right to say, I don't even want to be a part of this, it's all crooked, it's all whatever. Um, Cycling's a really great case because they had endemic drug use, they had endemic drug problems through organised, institutionalised forms of it, yet they were able to clean their act up a little bit. It's not entirely clean, but they've done enough on the PR offensive to say, well, hang on, we've tried to fix our sport. And I think you you need that at least veneer that that the Olympics, especially with the Olympics, that it is clean games, otherwise people could turn off. You're listening to Fourth Estate. You're with me, Marcus Costello, and I'm speaking with Richard Parkin, Daniel Warby and Fleeta Page. More women are playing sport at all levels and more women are watching sport, but the media's coverage of women's elite sport hasn't followed the trend. There's a general assumption that everyone wants to watch men. Is it the media's responsibility to get people interested in women's sports? Danielle? Yeah, look, I think the media does have a responsibility. The media, though, are just part of the puzzle. Um, So, you know, SBS kind of took up that mantle six months ago when they started Zella. They saw a gap in the market and were like, right, we're going to start talking, you know, exclusively about women's sport. Um, And you would have noticed perhaps the Telegraph followed suit as well. So, you know, it's really great to see. Um, I think definitely the media does need to take some responsibility, put in this dedicated coverage um, to help give it a bit of a boost. But on the flip side of that um you know fans also have a responsibility to read and watch that coverage now a bit of an exclusive for you um i just found out this week that zella is not going to be funded after the olympics so the website will actually be shut down by sbs um which is obviously very disappointing and what it came down to was in their view not enough people were visiting the site and you know, we can talk numbers and actual statistics and how many people that was, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, they felt that it wasn't sufficient. So, you know, there is that responsibility on, on both both sides, I think. Um, you know, we had some great content. You know, we're telling great stories. We're telling stories that not a lot of people um, would have heard, um, but it just wasn't bringing people in. Um, so, you know, I think that's not to say that we should all just give up. No, that's exactly not what I'm saying. But, you know, it's definitely, it's a long road. You've got to remember that men's sport has been around for quite some time in its current form and it's, you know, veering towards that, you know, entertainment, um, you know, uh, and it's very different to going down the park and watching your local, you know, footy club. So, you know, men's sport has had a lot longer to evolve. Um, So I think we're a bit behind, obviously, but, um, you know, sustained effort in this area is what's needed. Can I just add to that? Well, you've you've talked about both sides being the media and the fans, but 
um, I, I don't think it can be underestimated how much um, responsibility falls onto the sports organisation oh, to, promote, to promote their sport and their players. So, so often you see the women's sporting side have, you know, a volunteer PR person or an underqualified PR person or an inexperienced graduate running the show for the PR for the women's side where they would never in a million years consider putting someone in the men's side of mm. promotion with so little experience yeah. or, or so little time. So people always always say, you know, where was the media coverage of this? This was a fantastic result for, you know, example being the, um, the Australian... Um, under 16 basketballers recently winning the, the world championship. Um, but I didn't see a single thing from Basketball Australia promoting that or the results or anything like that. So the sports really need to, um, to, to push it. And rather than assume that it's the media that doesn't, isn't interested in covering it, it's like the media still needs to find out about these things from somewhere. And there's a lot of responsibility needs to be taken by the sports organisations mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I mean, when I said that they were the media was one piece of the puzzle, you know, the, the sports are definitely the other piece along with sponsors. Um, but, you know, in terms of the sports, I think there's been a real trend as well towards owning their own content and owning their own media. And that's very detrimental, I think. Um, you know, there are a lot of sports out there that are very willing to give access to players and share the content that we create on, across their networks. But then there are others that, you know, like to pretend that we don't even exist. And I think this move towards sports owning their own message entirely um, is actually very detrimental to women's sport. I think there needs to be more of a collaboration between the sports and the media outlets. Mm-hmm. You know, personally, um, and at SBS, we were always promoting um, you know content across other channels um, because it's all about growing the pie um, and I think that's a you know something that needs to be done as well just very quickly two points I mean that's new to me about Zettler and that's devastating because um, I know that yourself and Anna Dong and a lot of the people involved in that have done some really great work in that area um, the second thing is just to pick up on on this idea that it, it's not even have to be women's sport versus men's sport. You try anything different, it's very slow and it's very hard to build from scratch. So if I launch a new series saying, okay, we're going to do a feature on this each week, we'll get our first one, the numbers are awful. Um, the numbers always start awful because people don't know about it and you have to show the commitment and that's an institutional commitment mm. to, to commit to the ideas of, of, of a project to say we can build this if we keep going at it. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And I mean, you know, we had 75,000 views a month average over the last six months, um, but that's that wasn't enough, which is unfortunate. It's interesting to hear, especially given the remit of the special broadcasting service, mm. uh, does gender equality issues then solely lie at the feet of a public broadcaster? I um, absolutely reject that. I mean, I commend SBS and I commend ABC, especially the work they've done with um, uh, the W League. Um, But Fox uh, commercial uh, organisations, the onus is all all these guys to come to the party on this. Um, And I think to their credit, a lot of people are coming to this. So for example, Fox Sports... um, I, I think they've come on board a lot more with women's football as a certain issue, but that comes back to a negotiation with the governing body to say, okay, if you want the broadcast rights to men's football, let's also talk about women's f- football. So I think there's a lot of uh, success that can be had mm-hmm. through a partnership that says if you're interested in one, you're interested in, in a whole package in the way that you'd be interested in showing under-20s games of men's or mm. et cetera, et cetera. 
Yeah, and I mean, that's a very valid point. And on top of that, you've also got the idea that the sports uh, initially pay for the broadcast. So Cricket for Australia, for example, paid for the WBBL to be broadcast um, on, was it Channel 9's um, digital channel? And then uh, they got such, such great um, coverage, such great viewership that they actually put it across to the main channel. And that was because the sport had a belief in the product and invested in it um, and Channel 9, to their credit, filmed the WBBL exactly the same as they do the men's. And I mean, it seems like such a simple thing, but you look at the W League on the ABC Mm. and no disrespect to the ABC, but you know, there's only three cameras there. Whereas on Fox Sports and the men's sports, there's so many more cameras and it just looks so much better. It's not necessarily that the play is not as good. It's that it's not been covered as well. And that's, that makes a huge difference. Um, I think we're sort of hitting a bit of a watershed moment. I mean, next year in women's sport is going to be amazing. You've got, you know, the AFL, um, Mm. you've got the big bash coming back again. Uh, Netball obviously is a big deal. It's just gone down for them. Um, I think we're actually going to see, you know, a massive surge in broadcast next year. And I think that's going to be the tipping point. So you've spoken about how we cover sport. What about who covers sport? If we have more women editors at sports desks, are we going to see more women's sports covered? Oh, it's not quite as simple as that. Um, maybe, Fleeta, you might want to say something about this one, you know, working at a, at a sports desk yourself. Yeah, well, I, my, my instinct is to say yes. I think absolutely it would result in, in more coverage. Um, I think once upon a time um, I would have been more open to the idea that, that it wouldn't make a huge difference and, and that sort of men would be making similar decisions as, as women. But... Um, I think women do, I think, uh, want to see more promotion of female sports people. I mean, once you get involved in women's sport, it's an absolute pleasure to cover. Um, you know, the female athletes are so accessible. I mean, it, it, it honestly, it is so much better to cover than men's sport. And I think women realise that, and a lot of a lot of men who cover women's sport also realise that. But they also get caught up in the in the sort of rugby leagues and the male rugby league. Um, Mm-hmm. And the, that side of things that, that that perhaps get too caught up in that to think, oh, hold on, we haven't um, given equal coverage to this, or, or perhaps don't recognise mm-hmm. or don't hear about something else. So, I think definitely more women um, in editorial roles would help things. Um, the problem is there are not so many women coming through, and I think uh, once we get sort of more coming through and more visible in more visible spots then hopefully we can get more mm-hmm. girls to uh you know if you can see it you can be it kind of thing it'd be great to, to see more women um studying it and and getting involved i think this is a massive point um because it also speaks to institutional cultures um i mean being someone who's been a sports journalist and a news journalist you'll be within the wider newsroom and people always think sports are a bunch of blokes like you're off to the lunch off to lunch having three beers and etc cetera, etc cetera. and there is a hyper masculine blokey culture there is the, this idea that it's boys club and i know for a fact in my time in sport i've had bosses i've had uh tv newsroom uh bosses uh you know who, whoever it be say look we want to punters want to see something nice on screen you know, and that's the only role that might be carved out for a female sports presenter to say, okay, you're there as some ancillary add-on feature of someone's enjoyment of a sports product. Now, instantly, if you're having a morning meeting and one out of four or one out of five in your sports team is a woman saying, guys, we have to be covering this for this these issues, you get rid of that that kind of closed-minded, locked, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of locked together culture of of a men's sports group speaking about quota systems we haven't yet spoken though 
about the wage gap that exists. That's been one of the burning issues in the last couple of years now for gender equity. So what difference does media coverage make for the actual remuneration that women athletes receive? Yeah, uh, it's massive. I mean, you all be probably be aware about the case in the United States where um, the women's soccer team is suing the Soccer Federation over there. Uh, they brought in $20 million last year. The men lost $2 million, and yet they paid a fraction of what the men are paid. It's just, you know, absolutely ridiculous. And, it, you know, it's... Um, you know, I think that fight is a fight that they're they're going to win. But you know, you look here and um, with the WBBL, for example, um, and the way cricket has really pushed uh, women's cricket, you've seen a massive increase in what those athletes are paid. And I think they're probably the, the best paid, you know, athletes in in Australia in terms of you know being paid a wage to play in a domestic um, competition and play, play for the national team. And you know, I think the the coverage was a big part of contributing to that. You're listening to Board the State. You're with me, Marcus Costello, and I'm speaking to Richard Parkin, Daniel Warby, and Fleeta Page. News Corp sports editor Phil Buzz Rothfield has received payments from controversial gambler and former brothel owner Eddie Hayson. Text messages obtained by Fairfax reveal that Hayson has used his friendship with journalist Rothfield to threaten those chasing him for money. In a text message sent in July last year, Mr Hayson pressured someone to withdraw demands for payment, quote, or there is a picture of you going in the paper. Rothfield will love it. At this stage, no one is suggesting that Rothfield knew about these text messages, but Hayson did deposit money into Rothfield's TAB betting account. The veteran journalist said he had never done any favours for Hayson or allowed their dealings to influence his reporting. Quote, I can't protect Eddie and I wouldn't. Richard, when it comes to exchanging money or gifts with someone who's been a long-time source and subject of your stories you've published, what's considered a conflict of interest? Yeah, look, this is a tricky question. We're getting into tricky areas now. Um, it's not my place and it's not our place as, as journalists to kind of make these calls um, when when there are ongoing uh, kind of either legal or internal procedures. So now, my, my the realm of the hypothetical, and let's just well, talk about best practice. Well, my understanding is that, that News Corp um, is undertaking a process currently mm-hmm. investigating this. To take back a step, though, I would say if, if, you're being, if your name pops up in an investigation that's being run by Kate McClymond, then it's certainly not off to a great start. <laughs> um, so I think this does feel a bit stinky because on some level it does stink. But again, we'll, we'll wait for due process and we'll wait for all those things to take place and see what News Corp comes of it. Now, I would think the, the, the ethical line is, am I being compelled as a journalist to change how I would cover this story? Am I being compelled to perhaps offer a, a, a more positive treatment of someone than I would have previously? Is there any sense of quid pro quo happening, that, that it's not necessarily cash for comment, but there's some process of influencing happening here? If any of those questions start happening, then alarm bells go off in my head and I say, okay, this is a scene I don't want to be a part of. I don't want to be taking gifts. I don't want to be taking, you know... Uh, donations, known or otherwise, if it's going to then be seen to influence my coverage. Well, on Sunday, Rothfield published an exclusive front-page interview with NRL star Kieran Foran. In it, Foran gives Hayson a resounding character endorsement. Quote, he's one of the most loyal friends. I can't speak more highly of the bloke. I know that there is a lot of stuff out there about him. I don't think a bloke should be judged on what he's done in the past. 
We're going to have to leave it there because we're wrapping up for tonight. It's the kind of thing that not many of us want to talk about, but it's something that we perhaps should think about. So that's been it from us tonight. Thank you very much to all my guests, Richard Park and Danielle Warby and Peter Page. You've been listening to Fourth Estate. My name is Marcus Costello. 